Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. What is up, everyone? I am live. You got Brandon for Painter Marketing Pros here with Mr. Jason Paris. This is the first Q&A that we are doing in the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum group on Facebook. So we are taking a deep dive into his series, A Painter's Dream. It was a four-episode series. Hopefully, you've had an opportunity to watch some and or all of it. It's been released through PCA Overdrive as well as our site and on our Facebook group. Uh, here's your opportunity to ask Jason questions directly. Be nice to him. He talks a lot about how you guys send him mean emails. Don't send mean emails to Jason. Be I nice to him. a lot of mean, mean tweets from people. A lot of, a lot of mean stuff. Jason has, yeah. his, has his quirks and his viewpoints. Don't be mean to Jason. So Dude. ask him your questions. You know, say, hey, you- I you did actually ask for people to roast me, so- Okay, roast him. You, if you want to roast him- You'll see if, how many people show up, but you want to roast me. If you want to roast them, roast them. We are going to give it right back. But Jason's going to come back with you. And then we'll see. Uh, and I will be mean. You want to see what mean looks like. We'll see how out of hand this gets. Hello, Kalen. So make sure that you grant StreamYard access to your name. There's a little link we're going to throw up there. That way we know who you are. Otherwise, it's just going to say Facebook user. Uh, I think that's Patrick Santucci's here, but it says Facebook user. So Patrick, we're going to throw up a link for you to be able to identify yourself. So to start... To get the ball rolling, Jason, let's kind of do a, a quick recap uh, of your four episode series. Yeah, that'd be great if you could do that. Oh, no, I'm I'm just, it's I'm just, just from you. Uh, yes, so we, we talked about a lot of different things. No, we did four things. The first one was trends, if I remember correct. Like uh, It was macroeconomic trends. We were talking specifically, like there's a lot of hubbubaloo about recession time and and business cycles and, and all that stuff, uh, but you know, there's also macro, there's macroeconomic trends. There's also, don't forget about the macro macroeconomic trends. Okay. You got to remember those. Got macro I don't know trends. what that is. You got double Mac. That's like a double macro, right? So you got double macro, you got your macros, you got your micros, you got your micro works television show, but really we're talking about recession. Does that matter in our industry or the overlying trends? Is talent flighting? Is it entering? Is there more or less demand? Supply and demand. Yeah. I mean, we talked we talked for an hour about supply and demand. Pretty boring stuff. Episode two, we talked about industry trends. 
So I think it was largely about the professionalizing of the industry. So there's top talent that is beginning, like you're seeing, you're seeing people come in that are not your stereotypical beginning business owner now. And I think that's just the, the tip of the iceberg, as the kids say, where we're gonna see a lot more of that. But some of the trends in the industry around professionalizing, younger talents getting in, a lot more tech savvy, entrepreneurial, things like that. Episode three, building with the end in mind, right? So what do you want in life? It's called intentional, intentional life design architecture. Uh, you get to be, and then most of us are like NPCs, even in our own life, but you get to, a chance to pop out and play game dev for a little bit. So start to architect that. Talked a little bit, I think in that episode about uh, exit strategy. So the different potential paths of the exit, exit strategy in a painting company. Episode four was wild, okay? That was pretty uh, inappropriate. Free for all. Uh, free for all. Uh, but no, it was great. Episode four, it was philosophies of business. I don't really remember what happened. I blacked out for most of it, but it was it was A plus if you want to go on it and, and watch. I think your, your like videos that you put out have pretty good summaries on these too. Uh, so if I was smart, I would just pull those up. I don't remember, remember if I saw those on YouTube or what, but. Yep. No, I think- you pretty much nailed it. So in a uh, painter's dream, you discuss what makes the painting industry so okay. attractive. Aaron, okay. I just gotta, can I just, can we you talk can do about whatever you want, man? Well? This is your show. Okay. Aaron, Edward is not even your last name, first of all. All right. It's Vitalik. No one can pronounce it, which is probably why you changed it. Are you going through some midlife crisis? I don't know what's happening. And if it is, if it's actually a personal dig, I apologize for that. Your name, last name's Vitalik. No one can pronounce it. So you're using Edward. That's cute. Second of all, Nobody runs the whole ultra marathon. It's called, it's not, it's not called walking. It's called power hiking. All right. It's called power hiking. I'm not, no one's walking. You're power hiking. All right. So just chill. Actually don't chill. Thank you for the roast. I accept it. Is this how you do a roast? How am I supposed to react to these? The okay, first, I know how the you first. roast people, but I don't know how to receive a roast. Ha ha. That's funny. Your name is no one can pronounce it. And it's weird. The first roast, the first uh, arrow has been slung. Jason is a wannabe ultra runner. Really, he walks half the time. I don't, it's power hiking, guys. It's not, it's not. 50 miles I don't know how walking. to see the rest of these comments. They go by so fast and I don't know how to see them. But that's fine. So, yep, 50 miles walking, 50 miles running for Jason. So he's not a very good ultra runner, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I walk a lot. I mean, I'll just say on the last race, there were over eight, there were, there were eight people that were faster than me. So they must have been running a lot, really fast. Right? Yeah. Right. If I, if I, maybe if I was running the whole time, I'd be you know, faster than those eight other people. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be nice to, to not let eight people beat you, but we'll let it go. Um, cause you did beat, I think like a hundred people or something. So not bad. Gosh, I'm getting real defensive on these. I don't know if I, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty early on to get this heated, but we'll, uh, we'll keep rolling with it. It's okay. Thank I you. I'm sure I will stay hard. Uh, I knew I had my hands. Goggins. Hopefully that is a David Goggins reference. All right. I hope, I hope it is. If it is, then that's appropriate. Yeah, I love it, David Goggins. So, Jason, you said you had a lot of people reach out to you. Why do I have some echo right now? I don't know. You said you had a lot of people reach out to you after your podcast episodes. What were they saying? Uh, they're saying you're the best. I'm very impressed by you. And okay, I'm just going to let it go, actually. You, are you recording these messages? Cause they go off my screen fast and I can't see them. I will follow. I'll make sure we follow up with all of them. Okay. Um, 
A lot of people had questions about all foldings. I'll say that was most of the conversations that ended up happening. Is that must have been episode three? I talked about uh, founding partner in all foldings. All foldings is the one that operates uh, all of Paris painting. So I now am able to participate as a passive shareholder in that. We currently have seven partners across the U.S. If you don't include Paris Painting, of painting companies we've partnered in with to help them scale into a stable asset. So that's those were most of the questions. Uh, just to to shoot you straight on it. That's what popped up. All right, just just Aaron. Okay, there were more than seventeen people at this race, and I'm not. The thing about ultra running is I'm very humble, so I'm actually not going to defend myself. I'm just not, and it's. It wasn't in Minnesota. I'm not going to tell you where it was because it's actually worse. It's not it's actually not worse, depending on. It was in Iowa. But it was in Dubuque, Iowa, which is very close to Illinois, which has a big draw from Chicago. So it's actually. Okay. Uh, Fred Hamilton, the professional. So I would just say the definition for me. Well, hold up, hold up, hold up, Jason. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it because a lot of people are going to just listen to this or they're listening to it so they can't see it. So Fred asked, Jason, what would be your definition of a professional painting company? As in, what would you say are the minimum, quote unquote, minimum requirements that a client should be able to experience from a professionalized business? So a professional business for me is one that is not simply surviving, but improving, right? In the painting industry over the last 10 years, it's been very easy to survive. <laughs> if you are uh, not doing well in painting, I don't know what you're doing in your life because this has been like the biggest gift of soft pillows in the economics that we will ever experience. So it is, uh, you know, are you doing the bare minimum when it comes to your clients? So, I mean, there are certainly expectations I could list out, but I don't know if that's gonna be uniform for every single business or every single person. Uh, do you show up? Do you tell them that you're showing up? What does your communication look like? What does the customer experience look like? What does the product look like? I'm sure there are many different elements to that that we could start to freestyle, but it's not just the clients. It's also your, your, whether your employees or, the, or your labor, if you're using subcontracting, how well are they treated getting by or exceptional? And the last thing would be the business, right? Is the business just getting by off what that, what, what that looks like? I would call that profit. Is the owner making good compensation for their work that they're doing in the company? Right, so most people are all, they're doing all the sales, they're doing some project management, and they're getting compensated for those roles. But there's actually not profit in the company if you were to pay a market rate rate for those two things. A professional company would be one that's not just getting by, but is exceptional and has a profit, a healthy profit at that. All these things about professionalizing they are what gets you ahead of the curve right now. In a more competitive market, it's what allows you to survive or stay above water. Right? The unprofessional companies are the ones that will go under, rightfully so. The professional ones are the ones that will continue to grow or maybe even just survive depending on what their status, what their state of professionalism is and how, how hard of the downturn it is there. Yeah, I love it. So you're, so you're basically, you break it up into three different, different avenues that you're looking at. Number one is how you actually treat your customers for most of the people listening, homeowners, you know, it could be commercial property owners. Um, how are you treating them? How are you communicating with them? They're not mind readers. You know, you guys go out and do this stuff every day. You go out and conduct estimates every day, you go out and paint houses, but they don't actually know the process. So are you telling them, hey, we're going to show up to your house at this time. This is about how long it's going to take. This is our process. This is what you can expect from us. And then when you come back, you say, hey, this is how long it's going to take us to do your interior repaint. This is what touch-ups, what, what our process is for touch-ups. If there are any issues, here's how we handle them. Here's our satisfaction guarantee, our workmanship warranty, whatever you offer, communicate, convey that trust to them. 
so they know they're taken care of. And that's what most people think of when they think of a professional business. But then you're taking it farther. You're taking it, okay, how do you treat your labor? Whether it's independent contractors, whether it's W-2, that's a big piece of the business, your homeowners or your, your end customer, your labor. And then something way beyond what most people are thinking about is actually the business, the equity in the business. If you're paying yourself, people think, oh, I made a hundred grand. I made 200 grand. I'm making good money. Well, what are all the jobs you're doing? If you're doing sales, you know, you're going out, answer the phone, you're doing estimating, you're doing project management. If you actually hire people for all that stuff, maybe you're not making anything. Maybe you're making negative. Yeah. So treating the business as a business, not as a job that you just work really hard to, to hustle and make money. Yep. Yeah. For the client side, if I were just to riff off of it, there's communication, there's level of care, and there's the product. Right? Communicating, like you said, Brandon, they're not mind readers. You know, and that, think about your own experience, whether it's going to a restaurant or getting your car fixed or getting a, a service on your own home. Right? You want to see a level of care. You want to see good communication. You want to see a good product. And the labor, I would just say the labor is like one of the genesis of why this industry has so many challenges. Right? Mm -hmm. One of the big origin stories in our industry is I worked for a guy and it was pretty bad. I so I started it. my own company. Right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's where all these businesses come from. That's where a lot of them come from. Right? I, start, I worked for a guy and you know what the second part of that is going to be and it did not go so well. Right? Because it typically doesn't. There aren't many professional companies. The onboarding for most companies is come here, learn by osmosis. If you uh, get me in a tight pinch, I may give you a raise. I may not. Depends how hard you fight for it. Uh, <laughs> what are the expectations? Who knows? Uh, that's not everybody. I do think. Also, think we talk macro trends. I do think the industry is shifting and changing towards professionalism. But that, by and large, has been the experience that most people have received. And it's no wonder it's hard to retain or attract. Not retain. Hard to attract top talents into this industry, given the experience that most people would have. Yeah. Yep, I love it. The uh, I've seen I've seen job postings for hey don't don't show up drunk do do this don't do that you know make sure you do this okay. have to have that. Yeah. There's absolutely no there's absolutely no mention of hey this is your opportunity at the company this is what you can expect if you're you know we, we like to promote from within move up to middle management. There's none of that. It's just hey you must do this and you must not do that. You don't right. attract the right kind of right kind Low of pay, You know, not a great environment. You know, the only attractive components of getting into that is there's no drug test no background check. Otherwise, why would you be going with Boehner, right? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so a little love for Jason, so that's nice. P.S. I love you, Jason. Real question for Jason. Can you talk about the strategy behind building a leadership slash executive team and tell a bit about the story of how you did it? Yeah, so strategy would be a series of plans. Um, if I was thinking about the strategy of building a leadership team, so you don't want to lose your identity. We'll start with that basis. You want to know, understand your core values, hire that, and make sure you don't lose it. So that's going to be core to who you bring on. You want to get people that are smarter than you, better than you, and hyper-specialized in their roles. So when you're a founder, you're typically good at everything. You have to be to get something off the ground. Otherwise, it'll immediately sink. But you're typically not going to be hyper-specialized on the managerial level at anything. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You like creativity. You like chaos. You like the lack of rules, lack of structure, and the motivation that comes from the potential to fail disastrously. Right? That all those things are kind of the opposite of what you're hiring for. How you do it is there's there's no magic bullet. Otherwise, people would be building successful businesses left and right, and they're actually pretty rare. Um, you know, something that helps is having a strong network of individuals, and so. You know, like people flock together, 
And when you're the entrepreneur of the group, you create the opportunities that other people can come in and, and perform within that and generate value. It also, let me think about how I want to say this. It also helps if you can, can give people upside, right? That's probably the easiest way. If you can give people upside. So a lot of people are not going to be very excited about joining a painting company on the executive team level, unless there's a real strong vision to cast. So I'd say that's, that's the number one element of recruiting and, and strategizing with the leadership team is was a vision, was the likelihood of that vision? How do you cast that vision? How you use that as, as an attraction? Make sure you don't lose your core values and your identity along the way. Know that you're not hiring more of yourselves, you're hiring managers and executives, not entrepreneurial creative founders. Yeah, that, that, I think that's how I'd answer that, that question, at least throw it off, off the top of my head. Following up on that, would you, because you're talking about hiring, would you primarily be looking outside the company for this or would you look internally? So we start internally and then we'll go outside. So I'd say it's pretty rare, especially early on, that you're going to have executive team caliber people with you in the field. It happens. And so it's not, but it's, it's more of a, a unique event. It's great if you can if you can promote within because then you can retain the culture and the identity a lot easier. If you there's kind of a math math equation of how many of your roles for the next year and this is tough to do in a high growth company, right? How many of your roles in the next year do you have? You call it like a risk of culture because they're coming from the outside; they haven't been internally vetted. But then you need to balance that. And it's a nice edge of how many roles on the executive or managerial team are now at a risk because they don't have the proven performance track record of that role. So someone internally is getting promoted. They're now getting promoted to something they haven't done. So there's a risk that you want to put in your chart on that. But if you promote somebody from the outside that has done that role before, they have a proven track record, you're now taking a risk on your culture. So that's something you want to monitor back and forth. It's hard to do in a high growth company. Sometimes you get lucky or you don't. And those can be big impacts for them to like a one to two to three year sprint. But by and large, yeah, look inside first if you can. Um, at least be aware, there's not a magic number, but be aware of the percentage of risk on your org chart for people who have not performed in that role before and weigh that with your, I guess your risk profile as, as an investor or as the owner. Are you in general, when you're hiring, are you quick to hire, quick to fire, slow to hire, quick to fire? What's your approach? I don't hire that many people <laughs> anymore. Uh, so I'll just, I don't know what the answer is. Probably slow to hire, quick to fire. I think that's what you want to hear. I think that's the that's the textbook answer. I think I'll give the textbook answer there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, everything that we've seen in the company, you know, firing quickly is is the way to go. Yep. yep. Yeah. As soon as uh, as soon as you realize they're toxic or not going to be a good fit there, it's usually yep. yeah. It's and it's like uh, you know, we're all pretty uh, pain avoidant individuals. I am for sure. I like to avoid pain. That's why you run 100 miles. Yep. But it's more painful in the long run to not to not deal with that. Yep. yep. So, so Kaylin, Kaylin, thank you for coming and participating. She said, if you had to start all over again, what would be the top three things you would hit first? <laughs> I'd remember all the lessons I learned first, because that's a big part of starting something is you're going to learn a lot of lessons along the way. So, uh, but the number one thing would be, you know, reaching out and, and having a network of individuals. That's, I don't know, that's so easy to do nowadays. Back in my day, when I started, I tried being the happy-go-lucky guy that was nice to everybody at Sherwin and a lot of weird dudes out there. And they'd be like, what? I don't want to talk to you. I, I don't, what is competition? I'd rather 
have a have a limited mindset. And so it took me a while to find the PCA. It took a while for the internet chat groups to start popping up. Uh, I think I've had a pretty big impact in my local area on forming cooperation groups that are willing to communicate. But gomp, gomp, get gomped, gathering in Minnesota painters. Uh, but I would say number one thing would be finding a group of people you can interact with that are also painting business owners, ideally in your, ge in your geographical area, if not outside of that. From there, you're going to learn a lot of different things. And I mean, it's, I don't know what I would do different. I mean, there's a, certainly many things I would do differently, but so much of what I did were lessons I learned that helped me along the way. Yeah, awesome. So Dave Pine, thanks for joining us, man. He said, in the mini series, you mentioned platforms that help painters start and scale these days. What would you use or recommend if you were just starting? Uh, probably Google Spreadsheets because it's super malleable, super adaptable. You're not going to be locked into a thing. You don't have a huge, I don't know, hopefully not a huge growth curve. If that's a huge growth curve for you, then it's going to be even tougher to adopt software. At some point, you want to switch order software, and that's a whole deep dive we get to get into of, you know, what is it like to have completely open worlds of, of data and information? And, and then you transfer to more of a gate uh, lock and step, you know, environment that, that's with software. Uh, but I would start, you know, the power of spreadsheets is very underutilized and, and underappreciated. But the tools that are available today, I mean, just think in the 1980s, people were operating with beepers and maps, right? Now we have GPS and instant communication tools. You know, that alone makes it way, way easier to scale a company than it was, you know, is that 40 years ago already? Okay, that's a long time ago. 80s are 40 years ago. So maybe that's ancient history for most of the group here. But I think having an appreciation for the tools that we have at our, at our fingertips today is always something to keep top of mind. I don't know if we fully appreciate uh, what it's right, to, what's like to have real-time communication with anybody in the field uh, for people to be able to, to navigate um, their city or geographical area without domain expertise of all the roads and cities and turns and, cor and corners. Um, or even the ability to have forward referencing calculations like spreadsheets have, right? These are not manual calculations. It's going to take a ton of bandwidth and brute force. Uh, it's it's instant, instantaneous. And I don't think these things are fully appreciated. Awesome. So someone asked, this is an interesting question. Um, it, it's, an, it's a different kind of question. It says, how does your understanding of the main man, Mr. Jesus Christ, inform your business values? How much of an impact does your personal beliefs translate to company culture? Yeah, I think so. Company culture is going to be an extension of either the founders or the primary shareholders, typically. So I would say if I go to, I'll start with Olive Holdings. A big part of our, our vision is to harness and democratize the equity in painting companies. And so it's not, I don't know, that's, that's a pretty deep question. And I would say in general, we like to teach people how to fish. And we believe that if we do that with others, that's going to have a pretty big impact. I'd say pra practically, uh, we do, I don't know, you, you don't even want to talk about it because then it loses its meaning, but we donate quite a bit of money to local nonprofits in our area. That's something that I think is a, a practical show through of what our personal beliefs are. On the meta side, if you look at the vision and the value or the, the vision and the goals of all of holdings, Okay. Conquering the fear of mammon is a core value and a core passion. Mammon is, means a lot of things to a lot of different people. It's the word that is used when, uh, I think it's in Matthew, I, it says you cannot serve both God and, and money. The word is mammon. 
Mammon to me and to my partners means any system or structure that man creates to enslave itself. This could be financials, the most common one, right? This could be greed. It could be pride. It could be envy. It could be fear. It could be self-doubt. These are all things that you now serve and you're not able to serve what is your true calling, right? So mammon is like the enslavement that we can only put on ourselves, right? How do you break free from mammon? From, and it's really a fear of mammon. How do you break fear from the fear of mammon? There's two ways. There's the shalom, right? There's the peace of God. There's also this practical application of having your assets outweigh your liabilities in life, right? And so that would, that's like a, a pretty long answer, uh, but hopefully it gets us a little bit there of, of if we can help people build assets in their lives, it's conquer the fear of mammon. I think that's a way that our beliefs in our faith has come to fruition in our businesses. Awesome. So yeah, the, uh, one of the takeaways, so I, sometimes I have a hard time following you, Jason, you, you're, uh, you're pretty, pretty advanced in, in your, in your verbiage sometimes we'll say, um, what I kind of took away from that was, a, was largely lead by example, better people's lives, give them the ability to, to have assets that outweigh their liabilities. And through doing such, um, you know, you have a certain belief system about helping people and improving the world. You living that belief system, uh, improving, donating nonprofits, things of that nature, bettering your employees, uh, bettering the homeowners. That is, that's kind of how you integrate these personal beliefs that would maybe be kind of um, difficult to maybe directly uh, implement into a business. Yep. That, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, that's what I heard. But it, I you, know, you can correct me if I'm off on this one. No, it's good. Okay. Right, okay. I see the next one. All right. That sounds good, man. Um, Will there be another paint by numbers event this year? Yes. So we're going to start, I think we've got some collateral that's being put out at Expo. Uh, it is going to be, you can mark your calendars now. I mean, I don't know, June. So right now it's slotted for June 21st and 22nd, 21st, 22nd of June. June 21st and 22nd. But, but yeah, paint by numbers. That's something we did in 2019. And I think it was December 2019 for the first time. Obviously, we didn't do it in 2020 and 2021 uh, because of restrictions and governments and hotels. But in 2022, we brought it back for the first time. Huge success. And we're going to do it again in 2023. It's basically looking at Paris painting, all of holdings. How do we operate this company in a way that's uh, scaled to stability and passive ownership and do that in an open book style? So completely open up our books, shared templates. Uh, we have key speakers from different parts of the company. So Mark, you know, he runs eight figures worth of production. Micah, same thing for sales. And uh, Alex talks about boring stuff like trends and P&Ls and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's a great time. I'd highly recommend it. Come to the Twin Cities in little middle to late June, paint by numbers. Love it. Okay. Is there a place that, that people, is there a web, web page or anything? People no website. Know? Anything. Nope. Doesn't exist. No, I'm sure it will. It will. So we do this in conjunction with the PCA. I'm sure once Expo, it's announced at Expo, it'll be on their website. I'd go, I'd reference the PCA website for the event. Awesome. Okay. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get a link up to that in our group as well. When that, when that webpage is live, yeah. uh, someone threw a little shade at Wology. I don't know if that was actual shade or a, a dig. Cause I don't know who said it. It says Facebook user, but I don't know if you want to Talk about Wology. They said, why is Wology such crap software? Who designed it? So I don't yeah. know if you want to respond to that. 
you know, it's, it's hard to build software that, you know, can run a, an eight figure company painting company, right. Cause there aren't that many of them. Right. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a novel challenge, right. It's pretty easy to design software for, you know, a lot of painting companies that don't make any money and, and don't have stability in their, in, in their businesses. But no, it's uh that's, that's been a passion project of mine is building out the software that we operate Paris painting off of. It's also software that our partners operate out of. Uh, I'm not sure if they're being serious or not, but it is a work in progress. This is something that we're continually iterating and adopting and uh, it's not an easy thing, nor is it cheap, but it gets better yeah. every day. It's the best thing that I've found on the market for how we want to run the companies. Uh, if there was an easier solution, I would have bought it. I'm a capitalist, not a, an egotist. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure if there's shade or not, but if, it is, if it's real shade, it. if it's real shade, yeah. I would just say, you know, check in every month. It, it adopts pretty quickly. Uh, but if they're joking around, I'd say, yeah, it's a, it's a thing that I've enjoyed being a part of. Yeah. Yeah. So while you, so you do roll that out, you include that for all your partners at all of holdings. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. I mean, they don't have to, but we have yeah, an option. Though. Most people will take on all holdings as a partner because they want some domain expertise and support and scaling their business into, into an asset. And yeah. so we'll come in and say, here's, here's a software we recommend you operate on. We can lean in the best and support you if you're running on this, because now all the companies are, so it's pretty easy for us to run reports and ID the key issues and, identify where we should lean in as a partner to help solve the gap. Um, but it's up in theory, it's up to everybody, but I wouldn't, I would not expect all to partner with somebody if they didn't want, you know, all to be involved in their company. Yeah. So let's, let's touch base on it for a second. Cause a lot of people are listening to this are not really going to understand what Wology is. It's a, it's a CRM. Okay. It's a, it's software. It's a, it's called an enterprise resource platform. So you guys have all been around softwares and painting companies and, uh, it's the basic premise is having all of it into one spot. So this is something we started building for Paris paintings three, four, about four or five years ago, knowing that we grow it into a larger, larger holdings. And so instead of having all these different apps in many different spots, we put into one spot, <clears throat> tailor fit, custom fit to how we want to run the painting company. Right? So there's, there's a real dichotomy and there's a lot of different solutions out there. I'm not knocking. I mean, there's a lot of great solutions out there, right? More power to everybody. I can already see the tweets coming. They're going to be mean. But this person, just as a heads up, this person did say that they were joking about that, but it, it gave us a topic to discuss here. So I would just say, I would, I'll say like, this is not something that we sell. I'm not interested in selling software. Don't have any interest in selling software. Don't have any interest in that because there's a very real difference between a product that you use for performance and a product that you use to sell or that you build for performance and a product that you build to sell, right? If you're going to, and the painting contractors are the worst. I've told they're almost, they're just, they're just the worst. If you're trying to oh, build a product to sell to painting contractors, they don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. They have like all these, I'm just going to call it, I'm just going to say it. They have these stupid ideas of things that they think are going to take them to the next level. And they're the dumbest things. Like they're, it's like hiring a marketing company for the last <laughs> 10 years. Who, who has a hard time marketing? I don't know why. We have this giant this tailwind of an economy with the boomers re, boomers are retiring. Now in 2023, Brandon, I'll give you some credit. Okay. Maybe now is I don't the time know why I, I have you on these things. Maybe now is the time to hire a marketing company. But I'll just say yeah. in general, painters are the worst. You don't, I mean, the pool of professional contractors that could actually adopt a software that's custom crafted to scale the eight figures that, you know, has all the, all the reporting in that allows for passive ownership. It's going to be so minutely small. The software that we built for our company and our partners, knowing that you're building it for performance, not for marketing and sales. Love it. All right. It's an object-based orientated software. Oh, C, C sharp language. Uh, 
you know, it's called Wallagy because I used to have this giant metal wall in my office and I would take subway tiles, put maintenance on the back and write the project name and have different key bits of information on there. And I would drag it around on the wall, but then I would have to re-enter that information to a spreadsheet and they didn't talk to each other. This is like the main feature of the software when we first came up with it was you'd have this giant scheduling wall of visualization, but then it would backend communicate all the metadata and it would update in real time. Now it's much more robust than that. Obviously, it's where we do all of our bidding. We pay all the subcontractors through there, all the financial reporting, real-time communication. It's all in one spot. But Wallagy, because we used to operate the company off of like a giant wall. I love it. So Fred Hamilton Emery has a, a very specific question for you regarding an Olive Holdings uh, partnership. He says, what are the non-negotiable changes that an Olive partner needs to make to their company upon entering into a partnership agreement, i.e., software implementation, taking an owner's salary, can't take on additional partners slash debt, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And well, let's actually hit that. And then he's got a second part. Let's hit that. That's a lot. All right. So I'll just say fundamentally Alf Holdings is not going to partner with a company that they don't believe is a good investment, right? So if we don't believe we can come in and add value, then we're gambling. We're buying something that is likely going to go down because most founders are going to burn out over a period of time. Just call a space paid. Um, let's try to think of like real non-negotiables because in theory you could like, you could dig in your heels on one thing, but if you're doing everything else, we'd say, yeah, I think, I still think that if all of invest in this company, we come alongside as partners, that the performance of this asset could perform, could, could improve and over a period of time become more stable. So it's hard for me to call out anything specific with that. This gets into the nuance of how we've decided to do these things. So we set up a legal entity. It ends up being manager managed with the founder listed as the manager or the, the, the legacy owner, right? So the, the person we partner with ends up being the manager of the company. So they have all the cart control. They can do anything they want, right? There are a few limitations, like you can't take on a million dollars of debt in our name, right? You can't do that. You'd need us to sign off on it. It's good to think about it too, if you were ever to become a passive owner in this asset that we now are jointly building together. What, what rules or what uh, restrictions would you want the manager that we've now hired to have, right? If you're a passive owner in this business because all holdings has come alongside you and scaled it up and now you're able to be passive, would you want the manager that gets hired have, to have the ability to uh, take on you know, a new building uh, mortgage in like downtown Seattle? You'd be like, frick no, Seattle's a, a gong show, right? You don't want, don't buy, do not buy real estate in Seattle. That, that, that's a terrible thing. You just put me on the hook for something really bad. Uh, so those, I don't know if that answers the question completely, but yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it mostly, I think it mostly answers it. There are certain restrictions uh, in place probably to prevent just incredible liability. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. But overall, you guys are pretty amenable to the way that we've set it up is we like the like the founder, the legacy owner to maintain operational control. So yeah. it's not a board run LLC. It's a manager managed LLC with the founder listed as the as the manager. So they can they can choose to ignore everything that we want to do to an extent, with the exception of taking on a ton of debt in our names uh, or things like that. And so the actual legal entity, it's almost like you guys create a holding company and then they get the majority of it and you guys own a minority partnership in that holding company. Yeah. So if we want to get into like the nitty gritty of it, what we do is we end up starting a new company. So it's a truly a new venture with a DBA of the legacy company. And that founder contributes their company's goodwill, assets, brand, the momentum of the business 
for majority ownership. And then we will come in as a minority owner, sometimes bringing cash, sometimes not, depending on the performance of the asset. And we will come in as a as an operating supporting partner, right? And the idea is to the extent that there are gaps. So the re what we're not doing is consulting, right? That is like, uh, I mean, I don't know if we should get into this now because I'll get into it for a long time, but we're not coming in and telling you what to do because the internet has proven that Americans are still very out of shape and they have access to all the information. The reality on these companies is you can hire a consultant, you can hire a coach, and those are great things. And we, we work with coaches who are phenomenal. I know coaches are phenomenal. But it's really the integration of those plans, those concepts, those strategies that determines whether a company gets built or not. There's a difference between planning and building. And a lot of times people are, most people are not going to build a company on their own. Very, 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 very few companies get built to stable, passive asset class with one person. It's usually a village of people that it ends up taking. It's nice if that village has some heavy domain expertise as well as having done it before. That's the concept of all holdings. Yeah, love it. And you talk a lot about kind of being able to see around those those future bends in the road problems and situations yep. that that people who haven't been there don't even know exist. Right. This is this is a conceptual uh, whether it's whether it's scaling a painting company or let's say I bought real estate uh, commercial real estate in Ohio. I would want to partner with someone who's done a lot of commercial real estate before, right? Because I don't know what I'm getting into. I think I know. I look at actually I don't. I have no idea. Right, so if you're gonna if you're gonna get into investing, it's nice to do it with partners. Everything I do is with partners, whether it's raising a family uh, with my wife, who is my partner in that, uh, buying real estate, building multi-housing fam, multi-family housing. That's all done with my partners. Uh, same thing with painting businesses. Yep. Yeah. So if you if you're not running uh, an eight-figure painting company, so you're doing over ten million, then odds are that that Olive Holdings has some information that they could share with you. Even if you are, them. even if you are, right? You may want to diversify diversify and start to uh, realize some of the equity that you have. Yep. Fair enough. So the, the second follow-up to that from Fred was, is there a typical percentage revenue growth target you're looking for your partners to achieve during the first few years? It's very, very uh, variable depending on this, on what they're up to. So I like hundred percent growth. So you just, we have, so like I said, we have seven partners outside of Paris painting right now. Uh, you have some that have doubled. You have some that have had like, low double digit percentage growth, right? And a lot of it, I think is dependent on how entrenched they are in their current systems, right? Because there's like these two ideologies. There's a lifestyle business, business which so people have heard me talk about this. There's a lifestyle business, which is phenomenal. I love, I love people who have lifestyle businesses. They're Charlie Munger, like he was like a lifestyle business as a, as a lawyer, a nice, nice lawyer degree. Those are great because you can really, really squeeze out the cash in the business and it'll operate as long as someone is there as a high performer to make it churn. There's another philosophy or, or path of life where it's not about squeezing every dollar of profit of this entity. It's ensuring that there's stable, passive, stable, passive cash flow for the years and decades to come. Right. And those are those are two different ideologies, two different philosophies. Neither one is right or wrong, but they're one is an investor, another owns a job who can now use that job to become an investor in other asset classes. Yep. So Chase had a question and, and actually uh, Brandon Weichers, I think they're going to connect offline, but he said, what would you consider a good win to lose ratio for competitive bid, i.e. government commercial projects where low number wins? I don't know if this is something you have dealt with. I have no idea. Okay. I'll tell you in general, like, so here's a philosophy of 
residential. I have no idea about commercial. I don't know that world. I think it depends on how well you're, how good you are at bribing or bullying or blackmail. I think those are the three ways. <laughs> you all, all good stuff. Those would be like the three, we talked about strategies. The those triple B. Triple B. Bullying, Better business bribing, bureau. Bribing, yeah. bullying. Um, I would just say in, in residential, which is what I know, residential, if you show up, when you say you're going to show up, you could put the estimate and a pile of poop on their front door and you'll probably book a third of the jobs, right? It is like a very, just show up, give a bid. You don't have to find their needs. You don't have to like get them to trust you. You just show up and give a quote, do the bare, bare minimum. You will likely book a third of the jobs, right? <clears throat> There's a third of the jobs if you did everything perfect. Chris, you know, pre-call, pre uh, sent them all, you classified everything, you sent them everything beforehand. Uh, found every need, handled every objection, polished presentation, you know, great follow-up, strong close. There's a third of them they'll never buy from you. They're either not getting their house painted for real uh, or, or they, you're just not a value fit for what they're looking for. It's that middle third that the skill of the sales presentation is going to determine. Right? Now you need to make sure you have accurate estimating. There's two components here. There's estimating and sales. Those are two very different things. Estimating is finding accurate scope of work and assigning the proper resources to it. The sales skill is pulling out needs, validating, presentation, close, all those elements, right? And I would say you're really fighting for that middle third and you know maybe perfect would be 66% if you do the math, right? 33 plus 33. But yeah, that, that, that's kind of my philosophy on residential. It wasn't the question, but you can't break yep. it up into thirds. Third you never get, third you always get for that middle third. Got if you want to get into government work, you got a bully, you got a bribe, you got a blackmail. Love it. Yeah. The 66% uh, close rate. Don't, don't audit me. That's what you, that's what you said. It's recorded. It's live. These are Jason Paris's words. Right. That's Let's, what you have to do. Let me just delete that part real quick. <laughs> um, so a, a, another anonymous Facebook user, I like this question. What is all of holdings current BHAG, B, big, hairy, audacious goal, and why? BHAG would be 100 million top line. And that is why? Nice. I don't know, that, that, that sounds like fun. No, it'd be, it'd, be, like it'd be a lot of business owners, a lot of families. So we, what, we, what do we had said? We had said um, 100 families making $100,000 or more passively. That's our goal. Right. That's and awesome. So, uh, we have multiple BHAGs out there. So don't do the math on those first two because I don't know if they fully align. But the BHAG is around, can we get 100 families making $100,000 or more? Uh, that, that's one of the goals that we have. So that would be 100, 100 painting company partners that have partnered with you where they're making over 100 grand. It could be them. It could also be some of their key staff, right? Yeah. We may say like, Multiple hey, you're, you're someone that's been with you since the beginning. They're part of a builder. You know, now they have real upside, right? Because you say, hey, I've partnered with all holdings. Now we're really going to scale this company and pour some gas on it. And if you want to continue to be a builder, a key driver in this business, equity could be on the table for that individual, yeah. right? So it may not just be the business owners. It might be some of their key staff that can participate in that upside as well. Man, that's exciting. I love that, PHAG. That is, uh, I love that one so much more than just the top line revenue. Top line revenue is what you always hear. I like 100 million because that's, that's a big one. But a uh, hundred families. I just made that one up. So I'll just say that first. Did you just make it up? Yeah, Did you just make that up? Remember you didn't make up the hundred families though. No, that's a real one. Okay. That's documented that in, our, in our vision quest that we did out in Idaho. 
Okay. We did not do peyote or anything like that, but we did have a vision quest. Yeah. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that one a lot. So another, another, uh, Facebook user. I like this one. Accountability. How do you hold crew leaders accountable for not leading? That's interesting. Hitting goals, profit margins, painters, not abiding by SOPs. You don't give them the option. You don't make it optional. So this, so if you're talking about compliance, people don't comply. If it's the, uh, what's it called? Take the path of most, re most resistance. People like the path of least resistance. If you give them an option to do the path of most resistance, typically they're not going to take it. So you don't make it an option. And whether you are leading with a carrot or a stick, this is your job, right? And sometimes a lot of these items are either, they're, either there's not buy-in, they're not believed in on every level, or they may actually be working against the well-being, the productivity of the individual, but for the holistic good of the company. So I'll give you an example would be sales reps. Sales reps are the worst. I hate salespeople. I never talk to anybody in our company that sells paint jobs. They just drive me nuts. Yeah, you kind of need somewhat them. of a joke there, but not not joking too much. Uh, you know, we ask a lot from our salespeople as far as compliance and data and collections, and and it's a lot for them to do because they're not good at many things in life outside of selling paint jobs. Uh, that's a, that's a subtle thing, but a lot of the admin things are not their not their skills. And it, it actually, actually get this hate these these hate tweets and stuff. I see why this. Good happens. thing we can edit this on the on the back end. Hmm. A lot of these things are not beneficial to them selling revenue that day, right? But they are beneficial to the project managers, to the coordinators, to the executives that have to manage the trends of the business. And so we're actually asking them to, to do things that are counterproductive to their individual goals, but benefit the company holistically. And how you set up the proper carrots and proper sticks to drive that behavior is, is what I would call appropriate architecture of a painting company. Interesting. So maybe, maybe comp, uh, like incentivized compensation. So, so profit margins, things like compensation. that. It could be, uh, what are they called? Verbal kind things that you say to people. Attaboys. Attaboys. Using, uh, using disc. Maybe Jason Phillips is big on communicating with people the way they like to be communicated with. Right. It's different. And I would just say, <laughs> if we could solve performance with money, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That would be awesome. Money does not drive everybody. And you can't just yeah. buy performance in a business. You need leaders, you need managers, you need soft skills. That's that's worth a lot. And I would just say in our company, we pay a, we pay a lot of money for people that are good at that. Yep. Because you can't just, if I could solve all of our business needs with money, Yahtzee, game over, super easy. Right? One of the biggest challenges as you get to scale is how do you lead? How you not just manage, but how do you influence, right? Those are the things that have a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. People, people problems is, uh, is a tough, is a tough thing, right? How to make it all work. Yep. Um, so Brandon Weicher said, what are the top three marketing areas where most of your leads come from for new clients? I would just say that changes every single time somebody asks me this. So right now I, I was just, so people who have followed me for a long time, flyer flyers and I, and single piece actionable, actionable, uh, sorry, action, single piece actionable flyers have been our bread and butter for a really long time. These are flyers that are individually hung 
undoor handles. They're like at this rubber T band on. Someone has to engage with the piece standalone. That has given us by far the highest ROI. That's been like fun. So a huge drop in the ROI this spring on that. Sorry, last spring on that. And so now we, we pivot, we shift, we get a little, get a little sneaky. Uh, canvassing, door-to-door canvassing right now is our highest ROI activity. We do a lot of different things. If you're talking about new clients, it's going to be number one is repeat referral. So referral work would be number one. Two, job site marketing. Three, whatever the hot active thing of the day is. And then there's 20 other tactics their director of marketing is always trying at any different moment, seeing where the trends are moving and what we want to pour gas on or pull off. Love it. So yeah, you have to be adaptive. Uh, things change. Uh, your ROI and different marketing channels change. You don't want to be fully dependent on one channel um, because that yeah. is not. That's good. actually, an uns- if, if there's more than 15% of your resources, sorry, one, more, probably more than 15% of your outcomes coming from a single resource, that's a red flag for stability. I don't care if that's marketing. I don't care if that's labor. I don't care if that's electricity. I don't know what else you could have. Those are like the two main main inputs. But I say that's like a red flag for us. That's a red flag for me as a passive owner of Paris Painting. I don't want to see any single thing getting too high. And that's actually something that is interesting. Like this was two years ago. We started to de-risk ourselves from flyers because we were saying like, hey, this is great. I love the ROI. But what if, but what if, but what if? So you start to yeah. think more long-term about the stability of your asset, not just the short-term performance. So Brad Ellison, uh, nice little, right. nice little next, comment. Next. Second, next. Second, yeah. All right, we'll skip it. No, I'm just nope. kidding. Not even going to say it. Second oh, best live event today. He had, Brad had his own live event. So he's uh, just nope. letting us know that we're doing okay, but not quite as good as he is. Um, Fred said that he, he looked jacked during that interview too. I don't know if he had like a pump going on, but that guy's got like it. He probably had what a, uh, these? a protein delts? smoothie. He had some good delts and some good traps. You know, you know, he nice worked Brad. before that. Looking you hundred percent know that he pumped before that. So Fred, uh, said he's in person in Minnesota. It was an eye opening experience and how all of works with their partners and why. So that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, John asked, what are some items or areas that you are currently working to improve or grow in personal, professional family, whatever you feel like sharing, what's your next win? Okay. Should I just pull this up? So I don't know. For Q1, <laughs> I'm kind of nervous, but okay. you do you. So Q1, I have my like personal side in that within it, there are three buckets. There's spiritual, physical, and mental. Spiritual, working on some scripture memory. Physical, it's a lot of maintaining. So I'm maintaining a lot of my rocks. So I have a workout plan, smoothies, healthy snacks, sauna, cold tub, Theragun, foam roll, stability work, stretch work, no caffeine or alcohol. And I'm trying what's called a plant slant diet this quarter. Don't ask me about it. Ask me about it in person. I love talking about it, but it's going to annoy a lot of people. Mentally, really working on my pre-sleep routine and then maintaining my morning routine. That's it for Q1. It's pretty easy. The next big bucket is the next big category is family. So there's personal, spiritual, physical, mental. Then there's family, wife, children, estate. Wife recording. So I'm recording how I help around the house every single day. It's my personal thing because I think that's what's going to bless her the most. Children, I read them a book and we do cuddles every night. And I'm doing a work day with each kid this quarter. I'm pretty much all, I'm almost there. On the estate, we're doing some work on our fireplace. So I'm getting all that scheduled. And I'm cleaning up a punch list that I have from when we moved into our house four years ago. <laughs> that's Q1 for family. The last category is world. 
And so I have my vocation and I have helping others. Vocation, largely around the apartments. So I have some systems I'm setting in there. I won't bore people too much. Helping others, uh, I'd like to have a clean handoff to Mr. Slavic for chair of the board with the PCA. Nice. And I'm starting a content something. So I've been doing like these weird, confusing video clips once a week. Those are things I'm progressing on in my personal family and world for Q1. Passion for the personal is realizing human potential. Passion for the family is founding family legacy. Passion for the world is conquering the fear of mammon. That's awesome. I know John's, John is going to love that uh, answer. Thanks for that in-depth response. Someone asked, long-term, how do you see the 1099 model being able to professionalize and scale while at the same time uh, being a, attractive to new talent and labor versus the W2 model? So 1099 right now works really well. If you think about 65% of the labor being Hispanic and a lot of Hispanics are immigrants and people come to America to live the American dream, which a lot of times is framed as self-employment uh, or business ownership. So it's a great way to have that badge of honor of owning your own company when you're 1099 without necessitating all the different value add areas of, of, of the business. Right? So someone may be a really good painter, but they may not have the emotional intelligence to interact with the client. They may not have all the abilities to do an estimate. It's actually a pretty hard thing to do accurately. Um, they may not have all the organizational skills to have a job, you know, get scheduled and, and happen at the right time and, and stay on that project the whole time. Or, or even the cash flow management that's required to cash flow the whole thing. But if someone's really good at painting, they can do that really well. Scaling that makes it a lot simpler because you're looking at people who are specialists instead of larger, having larger or uh, more generalists. So there's a bigger pool to pull from. It also works really well in the northern half of the US because it's very seasonal. So instead of having to scale up and scale down through the employee model, you can uh, grab and then release 1099 subcontractors. What was the second? Was there another part of that question? It's basically how does it compare to the W-2 model uh, in terms of professionalizing and attracting the talent? For professionalizing, I'd say they're both, they're obviously both great models. Uh, they both have the pros and cons. Subcontracting is not an easy button. You know, W-2 is not an easy button for uh, a lot of things that it gets, gets told that it's really good for. Um, I think a lot of it depends on the strengths of the either the founder or the executive team. And so there are some people who are really, really good at the craft of training painters, and I would recommend a W-2 model for them. There are people who are really, really good at the craft of logistics, and I would recommend a 1099 model for them. Uh, I think you can scale a lot. I think it's pretty clear you can scale a lot quicker with a 1099. And with those scales of top line revenue, you're able to afford the different layers of management that help necessitate or that are necessary for professionalism. But I don't know if there's a right, there's definitely not a right or wrong. There's a reality of what is the labor percentage wise in this industry and what are their preferences. Um, but both are great models. You know, we, at Paris Painting, we started out all W2, then we went 50 50. Or that, sorry, all W2, sprinkled in some subs, 50 50. There were mostly subs of some of some employees. Then we were almost all subs. And now we're starting to, the pendulum starting to go back the other way. So there's no right or wrong. Paris painting has been through every evolution and uh, it really depends on what the needs of the moment are. Yeah, I think people have this, this sort of misconception that if you use 1099s and then you can't professionalize, but ultimately if you're using 1099 crews, you, you treat them like employee, you develop that kind of relationship. You can still I don't maintain think, I mean, I think that was an issue 
maybe five years ago, if you said you use subcontractors, it's kind of almost a dirty word. And it was like the one thing that the franchisors got right. Um, I'm not going to bash them too much, so I'm not the chair of the PCA anymore. But yeah, using using 1099s, I don't know if that's a big issue right now or head trash in the industry. I was just say the only people who care are painting contractors who think they're God's gift to earth because they only use W2. Uh, nobody else cares, right? Um, I think the one, yeah, there's, there's, it's interesting to kind of track the different head trash cycles that you have in the industry, right? So I, I do think 1099 for subcontracting was a head trash area in years past. And then, then I don't know, we, I could future cast, I could say what they currently are right now, but if somebody asks, we'll get into it. Okay. Someone asked, do you partner outside the U.S.? For We're exploring holders? somebody in Canada. It's basically if we feel like they're going to be a great fit and if they're committed to, then we'll go through the legalese of what that actually means. Uh, but probably not. I mean, Canada is basically northern Minnesota. Yep. Uh, so that's about it. Pretty close. How does the Olive partner model differ from running a painting franchise? <laughs> okay. So franchising, so there's a, how do I say this kindly? It's, it's basically incentive architecture. There's two things. One is incentive architecture. So I'm going to go real hard against franchising. So if you are a franchisor or you sell franchise on the side, turn off, send, send me the tweets, right? Okay. That's a great place to put the hate mail. Cause I never read them. Um, okay. If I'm going to go real hard slant against franchising, it would be, I'm going to hire somebody. Not me. I'm going to sell you a franchise. And as long as you have the cash, this works great, great for me. Right. I really hope that you're successful and profitable. I hope you are. I hope so much. Cut speed. Thanks. You for your are going to spend a lot on marketing because at the end of the day, I'm getting a percentage of your revenue either way. Even if there's a loss, I'm going to take that. My worst day is I get to resell that territory because you can't. That's your worst day. Partnering is the opposite. Right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually not trying to sell anybody. We're not trying to sell anybody on partnership because we're the one that are make, that's making the cash investment. We're the ones that are putting the skin in, skin in the game. Right. And then you either win or lose with that partner. There's also franchising is kind of the, um, the ivory tower, right? Here's how you should do it. So first of all, like, anyways, I'm not going to information is not that important anymore. The internet exists. Processes aren't that big of a deal, but there's this information in the ivory tower. I'm going to come and tell you what to do. And I really hope you do it. I really hope you do. As opposed to a partner says, here's what needs to happen for the business to scale and stabilize. Are you going to do that? Or am I going to do that? What things are you going to do? What things am I going to do as a partner? Because I'm in it with you. It's that difference between ivory tower and yoking up with somebody in the field going shoulder to shoulder. But franchising is great. I have a lot of great people that I know run franchises. And, and we've recruited a lot of people who have formerly worked in franchising and their souls couldn't take it anymore. So they came over to all the full things. But it's, it's still, it's really good for some things. They certainly have top line revenue. And even though the units are small and they turn over a lot, you know, there are also success stories out there too. I don't know how good of a save that was, Jason. Awful, awful, awful. No, they're actually good too. They, they suck your soul, but uh, they're good. Not yours. I mean, just whoever. People, there are people who have worked in franchising and it's just, it's a tough architecture and yeah. it's really easy for us to recruit top level talent out of that. Got it. So this one, I'm a little bit nervous to ask, but I'll throw it out there. It was asked, you know, I'm kind of, kind of feeding them as they come. What was your most embarrassing childhood experience? Oh, gosh, I got a handful of them. Um, so in elementary school, I'll start young. Elementary school, so I had a lot of social anxiety. I have a lot of social anxiety. Uh, if you've seen me around crowds, you're probably not surprised by that. I seem super nervous right now. Before elementary school, I would go to like daycare 
and I would sit on the periphery of the room and I would read every single book in the bookshelf. Not because I loved reading, because I didn't want to go play with the other kids. So that made me kind of analytical and, and thinking a lot. Then in elementary school, was it elementary school or was it junior high? No, junior high. Junior high, I would take my lunch tray and I'll go eat in the bathroom until the bell was about to ring. And I would come out of the bathroom, put my tray away just as the bell was about to ring. So I didn't want to. Probably a lot of insecurity. Who knows what it was? Uh, at high school dances, I don't know if you have, I still do this sometimes in large crowds. But in high school dances, I would be at one side of the gymnasium and I would pretend like I was walking very intentionally to the other side. I wasn't going there for any reason. I was just trying to kill time. And then I'd walk back and I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like walking with a purpose, just trying to avoid the anxiety of social interaction. Uh, there was one more. Those are probably good ones to start with though. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Trying to, yeah. Those are pretty good. All right. Well, it does seem like you've come out of your shell quite a bit because you're doing a Facebook Live right now. This is uh, great. Quite a few people on recording and you're the chair of the board of directors. So congratulations yep. to I've you. Definitely, I've definitely grown as a person from my childhood traumas. Yeah, the uh, maybe the you know I know you had mentioned previously on our podcast that you went and you did door knocking um, when you got Paris painting started and how that was really difficult for you because you were introverted. So I think sometimes sometimes entrepreneurship and business ownership can kind of force us to overcome some some personal sure. struggles. Yeah, you can be very very motivated and you go against things that you don't really like to do because that because yeah. your your drive outweighs your desire for comfort. I love it. Yeah. Well, kudos to you, man. Um, so I love this question. How does your pre-call sound on, on inbound leads? So inbound lead, what does that call look like for Paris painting? Paris painting. It's a great day for painting. How may I paint you? Is that how may I paint you? No, I don't do that. Oh. First of all, <laughs> I haven't taken a phone call in four or five years. Uh, but are they saying how may I paint you? Who's painting? Who? No, they say something much more lame. Like, mm. Hey, this is Colin. So first, okay, one of our guys that takes the phone calls, his name is Colin. He doesn't even do this. So if your name was Colin, I, I, I told him to do this no less than a dozen times. This is Colin. Thanks for calling. How may I direct your call? Gold. Why, gold. Don't, why doesn't he do it? It's gold. Why doesn't he do it? I don't know why. Uh, Dang it, Colin. They probably say something boring like, Paris Payne, this is Colin. How, how may I serve you today? Oh, so awful. Yeah. Like, so professional wow, and awful. Thanks, Chick-fil-A. This is great. How may I serve you? My pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. One of the most uh, successful business models of all time. Uh, whenever I answer the phone, I don't get, first of all, if you're not my contacts list, my phone doesn't ring. So I don't get any calls. Uh, but I will, most of the time, people who have found my phone number some way or another, I will say, Paris painting, it's a great day for painting. How may I paint you? Or I'll say, all of holdings, it's a great day for holding. How may I hold you? I like that second one. <laughs> yeah, think about it. Just think about it for you guys' companies. You know, just this is what this is like the fountain of wisdom uh, coming out right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. It's take it, it's digest it. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, kind of, kind of trailing on that. Uh, when are you going to do a real vision quest with some real peyote or some similar psychedelic compound? Yeah. How have your feelings about psychedelic induced business vision questing evolved over the year? Yeah. So so far, so I've actually never uh, taken a psychedelic. Outside of, I had coffee one time in college. I was doing a paint bid. I was doing an estimate. The guy offered me coffee. You take the coffee, you try and sell the job. And you were, you were exploring. It was college. It was Pooped a crazy time. Right? Just coffee's yeah. the worst. Um, so I've never done even a marijuana consumption. Uh, 
I'm not opposed to it philosophically. I'm actually very open-minded to those things. I have two concerns. One is the burnout concern. So I've interacted with a lot of people and they're like, yeah, man, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I've actually done like a lot of drugs. I'm like, no way. I never would have known. I say that sarcastically because it's very clear that they've like fried some things in their brain. Mm. So I'm worried about that. that. Yeah, that's that's like, you can like tell when someone's a little bit fried. The second concern I have is, gosh, good thing we can delete this later, but it's kind of like pornography, Brandon. You know, yeah. we're, you know, we're not deleting this, right? You know, we're just, oh, we can delete whatever I, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's kind of like pornography, right? It's kind of like by consuming a marijuana plant, by consuming pornography, are you missing out on something better, right? When you consume pornography, are you missing out on the, the higher fulfillment of your sexuality that comes by having a monogamous relationship with one partner for life? Right? Is there something more fulfilling that you can achieve by, by doing that? Same thing with, I think, drugs, psychedelic drugs. Again, I'm very open-minded to this. I'm, I'm not even close-minded at all. I'm open-minded. I, I go on a retreat every single year. It's three days of silent meditation, and I get to some pretty freaking sweet places. And, it, and it, just, it mimics a lot of what I've read psychedelic experiences are like. Right? And I've done fasting and, and heat exposure and cold exposure and and uh, 100 mile races, for those of you who don't know, I love to talk about it. But the three day silent retreat is where I get into those deep, deep mental trances. And it's what I've read about, what I've heard people say about with psychedelic trips. And I worry if, if that's like the greater thing that I could be cheating myself out of by taking those shortcuts. Now, there are counters to both of those arguments, right? I've heard some great counters, right? You talk about exercise, like exercise actually doesn't blow out your knees, but it can make you stronger. So are these, are these tools that get you to a place as opposed to, are the drugs the place itself or is it a tool, tool that gets you to there? So far, I really enjoy my meditations. <clears throat> I love getting to, or I enjoy getting to psychedelic experiences through natural pathways. So I've not yet partaken in those, but I'm not closed off to it. You do, you do ice baths. You do extremely long runs. You think yeah. of this nature. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, Jason, you're, you're one of my more difficult um, podcast guests I and not difficult in a bad way, but difficult because I start to just listen to you and mm -hmm. I realize I, I actually have to run this podcast. So normally I'm, I'm taking I always notes, tell like, people not to they're just kind of sit down. I'm like, oh, I, I probably have to say something at the end of all this. Sure. Well, this is nice because you have questions. I've been intentionally not. This is helpful. Down. Yeah. Like if I go I, down, I kind of just clear, get into a zone. I'm reading yeah. the questions. I'm just, I'm, I'm don't, don't trusting my you, job. you are reading the questions. This is my job. You're, you're yeah. not allowed to do that. That's that's my value out here. Putting a lot of trust in you on this, so I hope that you. Yeah, I re I read them mostly right usually. Um, if you could recommend a specific resource, see, this is my job. I'm very good at it. a specific resource to help business owners learn the ins and outs of Excel. This is a great question of Excel slash Google Sheets. What would be the best place to start? Somebody else asked me this, and the answer is just do anything. I don't care. So that's spicy, Jason, coming at you. I don't care. Just try something. Right. Uh, I don't know what's best. Go, go to YouTube, go on the Google, uh, you know, nowadays with chat GPT, you can, you can ask the AI to, to, to make what you're looking for. Um, but as far as understanding the basics, the real answer is you, you have to take action and you have to do something where it's the best. It's kind of like people, how do I, how do I get in shape running? Start by walking, right? People are like, Oh, am I following the 80, 20 protocol? or the Hyman protocol, or, you know, what, what's the best training plan I got to figure out. So I maximize my, like you have not, you just, just start doing anything. Just start doing anything. Yep. Just start watching any videos. Just start. I mean, the, the best thing you can do is to get a mentor, right? And someone that can work to with you shoulder to shoulder. So you can talk about, here's what I'm trying to do. And they can show you something and get real time feedback, right? That would, that'd be like option number one. 
Option number two is just start anything. I don't know what's best. Just, just go to Google, go to YouTube. Uh, we live in this very, very odd information age that may not last forever. It may last forever. Who knows? Society may collapse, but they definitely didn't have it 30, 40 years ago. And you, you, the likelihood of you picking up a novel skill is, is much higher. Also, the AI phenomenon that's happening right now is going to take the, the, the need for technical expertise out of the uh, formula for execution. Right? So people used to, like, most people never execute anything because it takes a lot of work. Right? And then it's like, well, I don't need to work that hard because now I have technical expertise. And that was true for a long time. Now you don't even need technical expertise. You just need to be able to ask the question and, and get the support because the AI is there. It can do it for you. So it gets easier and easier to execute. I'm sorry, spicy Jason coming out right now, but there is no best. The real answer is start with something, find a mentor if you can. Otherwise, start with anything. I actually don't know the answer. So maybe this is my insecurity popping out. I'm sorry I yelled at you. That was a great question. And you're going to do great. It's I'm great glad that you're learning and improving yourself. There's a lot of great resources out there. Uh, when I was learning new resources 10, 11, 12 years ago, I went to like lynda.com or something to learn mm -hmm. like Photoshop and, and uh, After Effects and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that ex website still exists or not, but there's does. a lot of options out there. So yeah, you can you can just Google this stuff, like how to learn Google Sheets, how to learn uh, Excel. There's or ask ChatGPT. Right. And if chat GP yep. is down, actually, I haven't seen it on my phone. Maybe. There's the, there's the sandbox version. So a lot of people are complaining like, Oh, chat GPT. It's always, uh, let's yep. say at, at, uh, at capacity. It's at capacity. Uh, okay. It's asking me to log in, but if I, I saved it on my phone for the nerds out there, so let me go to my AI group tab. It's called beta.openai.com. That's more of the sandbox. It hasn't fully permeated the zeitgeist yet, so it's pretty available. I think they do have like an $18 cap on there for free GPU resources that you take on, but that's going to last most people like three, four months. So beta.openai.com. So yeah, you can, you can utilize chat. Like, yeah. 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 You can, right. I got a little place there. I've really calmed down. I just say, great question. So if you can find a mentor, start with that. Always take the first step on anything and you'll find your path. The fastest success starts with the first step. Yep. That was a good, yeah. that was a good answer. I, I came around to a better answer on that. It's good. Yep. Yeah. And there are courses you can find. There's Coursera, Teachable, just Google this stuff. And then as far as finding a mentor, so if you go to Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R.com and you search for, let's say, Excel, uh, teacher, Google Sheets, teacher, you can hire people pretty cheap from uh, India or Pakistan or whatnot who actually go on and tutor you on this stuff. So. Excel, I will tell you from experience, uh, is is incredibly powerful. You don't need to know one one hundredth of what it can do, uh, but if you learn the basic functionality, it will change your life. If right now you're kind of doing manual spreadsheets and things like that. Um, okay, Brad said, this story makes me so sad. I think he, he may have been referring to your childhood story. <laughs> I wish I knew Jason before he was my father. So you're, you're Bradley's father. So I could have been his big Allison. brother. Yeah. He'd have looked out for you. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. He would have looked out for you. Um, someone else asked, what is your average job size uh, in terms of square foot or dollar amount? I don't know. Six, don't know. Seven, six or 7,000, I think. Okay. Six, six or 7,000. Um, square footage. I don't know. Don't ask me. Said, so if, you, if you don't use your pre-call pre as a way to screen clients, so kind of pre-qualifying them, then how do you screen clients? Okay. Um, so one way you do it is through your marketing and your branding, right? That will speak to, you know, someone that is either a fit or not a fit. Uh, 
if you're so getting not, the right person through the door yeah. just from, from your marketing in general. Yep. Okay. And then maybe you have some type of a hurdle to set up an estimate. So whether it's filling out their name, just something that shows, you know, describe the project would be a good one. Shows that they're somewhat it's serious. Assignment based selling almost. They have to do something to get yep, that. Tell us a little bit about your project. It's nice. The more information you can get, cause then you can, you can tailor, you know, the, sure. the pre-send to that. Like, Hey, I have a stucco project and they have to check like what kind of substrate they have. Now you send them a video on the value of painting. That's stucco. way more customized. Yep. Um, but I would recommend doing a pre-call pre-call. I don't know if I gave that impression that we don't do it. <clears throat> I just, our estimators are the worst. I don't like talking to them because they <laughs> don't follow. You know, they work for you, right? They work, they work at your company. The they business would not exist without them. I'm aware of that. Okay. Yeah. They're probably the ones that, that send you the hate mail. They are the best. I love our estimators. Yeah. They, without them, we would have no company. We, have, we would have no problems to solve if the revenue wasn't in the door. That's true. Okay, so you guys do do a prequal of some kind, um, and one one recommendation you have would be assigning some sort of task, even if that is just, hey, describe your project for us, because if people aren't serious, if they're a tire kicker, they're a total waste of time, they're not even going to do that. If they yeah. do it, not only are they have they invested a little bit of effort into it, it's now kind of a sunk cost on their end. Um, they you also have something to custom tailor, so to speak, that sales process for. So now you're you're selling more in value than than price for them. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. Okay, I wrote down my traumas one time, so I'm trying to see if there's any more. Are we back to the childhood? Traumas? Okay, here's another embarrassing thing for Brad. Uh, so this is actually, this would be senior high. They had these time in between classes. My heart rate, it's just skyrocketing right now. This is good. This is like, uh, it's like a therapy. releasing my trauma right now. Yeah. In between the classes, they would have these periods and you'd have these like, you know, five, eight minutes to walk between classes. Go, get, go to your locker, get your backpack. A lot of times I had to go from like here to here on the map. And it would take me like two minutes. So I was like, great, I have six minutes to socialize. Again, Jason does not like to socialize. He has a lot of insecurity, uh, a lot of social anxiety. So I'd walk these needlessly complex routes around the school, uh, just trying to kill time until I got to getting in the classroom right before the bell rang. Because there was one time when I got there really early and the teacher just like looked at me with pity. That's how I internalized it. Maybe she didn't. It was just my own. Okay, <laughs> we're working through it right now. And uh so that, that was that trauma. And then, okay. Actually, I don't want to talk about these things anymore. <laughs> okay. Are we done? Okay. No worries, man. Uh, someone asked, do you, do you use a software to create your SOPs? No, I don't. No, do you do you document them? Uh, so SOPs, okay. Standard operating procedures. We use Word or Excel to okay. use those because it's not, we are not bogged down by the execution. Sure. I'm sure there is software that makes it prettier or nicer or easier to do. <clears throat> Does not, we have enough bandwidth and I don't know, grit to where that hasn't become an issue for us to execute. If it was like, oh, frick, we have all these ideas for SOPs, but we just never do it. We never have time. No one ever adopts it. Then we would, then we'd move more tech. That's so that's maybe not the best answer, but just the real answer for what we do. It was like very simple. I think I used like just really basic graphic shapes in the past to make like flow charts and stuff. But these are like pretty simple tools that you can get online for free. Okay. Someone else asked how many jobs does Paris painting do a year? I don't know. A thousand, 2000. No, over to what do we do? I don't know. I mean, I used to know this, like off the top of my head. I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now. Uh, let me just pull up. 
pull up Wology real quick. What did I say on our previous podcast? What is the answer? I do not know. Production. Production report. 2022. Apply filter. 2,765. 2,765. So we have a follow-up question to that. You can decide... Uh... You can decide how granular you want to get here. Someone asked, what was your gross revenue, gross profit, and net profit for 2022? Gross revenue was just shy of 10. We did not hit 10. Closer to 9. So to disappointed in you, Jason. I know. I've okay. been over here saying you're an eight-figure. You just said you're eight-figure. Okay, you first of all, you were the one that said that first. I did not tell you. You said it. I, I might have Somebody said it. You said it first. Well, I you needed to correct me. I could have corrected you. That's fair. It's your social awkwardness. Um, we had so we had the strongest gross margin we've ever had before. That's pretty. Our awesome. net margin was not what we wanted to be. It was in the the mid to low teens for net mm. because we spent to achieve a ten million dollar target and didn't achieve it. So we mm. committed to the overhead in a seasonal business. Sure. You especially front load a lot of that overhead. Also, we were more sales restrained than we were production restrained. And we don't want to make any cuts on the production team because I think we have a world-class production team, especially leading into 2023. So that's a little bit of, we'll probably dive granularly into this at PBN 2023 as we do a deep dive into 2022, talk through our learnings and how we've applied that to the business modeling and the business forecasting of 2023. But high level, those are some answers for you. I love it. Um, so Dave Pine had a three-part question. Oh, Number one. Uh, goodness. Who do you like talking to in your company? We'll just take this one at a time. Who do you like talking to in your company? Anyone? Um, I'm thinking. Hmm. I like talking to Darcy. Darcy. Big shout out to Darcy. Darcy's pretty cool. Caleb is cool. Darcy, Caleb. I don't know what she does. She's in cubicle land. Fun to talk here. to, though. Yeah. She's really nice. That's why I like her. I think she works with customer experience <clears throat> under Nate's team. Either marketing or I think it's customer experience. I think that's what she does. So she's awesome. That's probably why she's so great to talk to. Caleb is also on Nate's team. So maybe there's a through line here. He is like a marketing guy. Hmm. He's just cool. So I like him. You like marketing guys. Not you. Yeah. Well, other I met other marketing other marketing guys. I know. Like Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb's all right. Just yeah. kidding. Um <laughs> I don't like talking to Eric. Eric is our CFO. Yeah, he's, he's and I like him a, as a person. Kind of a naysayer, sort of. But he's always saying no. Yeah. And I'm always telling financials. him, I'm always telling him, one, you have to spend money to make money. Yeah. That's one. Two. The private jet was a good idea. It was necessary. Two, mm -hmm. this is a balance sheet activity, not a PNL transaction. Yeah. So shut your mouth. That's why I yeah. do a long time. Yeah. Um, he, does, he doesn't get it. No, I like talking to Chet. Chet's awesome. He's, he's more fun. And he's really, really cool. Micah's super fun. He's our VP of sales. Uh, Caleb is awesome. He's a marketing guy. Darcy's cool. She's a really nice lady. I don't fully understand what she does. And then, I don't know if there's anybody else. Probably you, because you've interviewed me like every single week for the past two months. You like me enough, so that's good. And then, uh, I like people who talk in memes, that text me memes, and I text them back memes. I love it. All right. Uh, Dave's second part of his question was, do you have anything against people who don't make 
families respond by tweet. I guess you can tweet him. So this is one of the biggest, so America is actually pretty well positioned, but mostly due to immigration because we're the coolest country in the world by far. But yeah, population collapse is one of the biggest existential threats to most developed countries. China is going to cease to exist as a country in the next decade. This is one of the biggest drivers, I think. I mean, there's a, okay, I'm just telling you. You can mark China, it down. I'm gonna... China has been faking their numbers for a long time. We know it, but they just started, they just started to release and announce how bad it is. They do not have a working class to replace what's going on right now. They don't have the people to continue to survive as a country. And it's they import everything that's important. They import a lot of fuel and a lot of grains. Um, America is actually pretty well positioned for this. I have nothing against people that don't make families by like, I like, I did listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. First of all, I was following Peter Zihan way before he was on Joe Rogan, whoever posted Jacob. Uh, I've, I've, I've consumed all of his content going back 10 years because I love Peter Zion. He's phenomenal. And yes, I did listen to him. And I am like on like the amount of hours I've committed to consuming his content over the last three weeks has been a high number. But yeah, nothing awesome. people can't who don't make families. Now, if you don't, yeah. Okay, I'm actually not gonna get into it. But I would encourage people to make families. I would encourage people to be fruitful and multiply. Thus says the Lord. Love it. And then number three, who do you think would win in an arm wrestling contest, you or Nick Slavic? Me, because I like to cheat. Nick's a cheat, pretty honest guy, cheat, but I'm, I'm definitely a cheater. Yeah, got it. Okay. I'm a win at all costs kind of a guy. <laughs> at all costs. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you, who you hurt in the process. If you break his arm, oh, it's a, it's actually a, a philosophy. It's called work rational versus I think it's Zeit rational. And these are like at the core of most superhero, superhero movies, right? You have the, the antagonist who has this goal for how society should operate and is willing to achieve it by any means possible. And you have the protagonist, which is typically saying, yeah, I'm open to achieving that same results, but I'm more focused on living to a core set of values, right? And these, this is like the conflict of our society a lot of times. I am the antagonist. <laughs> I am saying, let's achieve the results at all costs. The ends justify the means would be another way of saying it. Uh, and then I'm also very values oriented. I'm a really good guy. So don't get that wrong. All right. Um, it fits. Yeah. Yeah. No, got, got a couple more. Uh, a cut, win at all costs and a very good guy. This is like your franchise answer. You know, horrible. Well, suck your soul, but they're really great. So we have a we have a real question for you, Jason. A uh, real one. How do you hire production managers, and what does your interview process look like? I don't hire anybody in the company. I haven't for many years. How does Jason um, how does Harris Painting hire production managers? So for a long time, so just like most roles in the company, it started out through networking and then networking the people that were great. Now it's like any whatever. It's like a professional tactic. So we have a full-time HR recruiter uh, in the office that works for, he, he works for Olaf. So he provides services for all for Paris painting and the other painting uh, partnership companies, but he will recruit from, I don't know, LinkedIn, indeed, normal places. Right. And he, he recruits professionals. So um, it's like a really boring answer that is like, yeah, he has a ton of bandwidth. He's very, very talented. He puts in the hard work. When we first starting out, you recruit the network and then you, find you, you network that, that good individual. So you find a good PM and you network that good PM and that'll get you so far, but it's not stability. And then once you start to really scare scale, you can afford the infrastructure that allows for that stability. You go a little bit more diversified and consistent. 
Yeah. So you, you have literally just a, a job role carved out for that to get that accomplished. Yep. Someone else asked, how many painters and project managers does Paris Painting have? So most of our painters are subcontractors. So at our peak speeds, then there's over 100 people in the field. Project managers, I believe there's five or six, maybe seven. I'm not sure. Maybe there's six. Is there a way that, so someone asked, could, could I have- paint by numbers? That's, that's, paint, that's paint by numbers. <laughs> uh, you can get a full deep dive of how the company operates. Nice. Someone asked, could I- uh, It's could clever I because painting by numbers is like a thing that kids do. You got color. And it's actually not that, oh. it's actually a good metaphor because running a successful painting company is not that complex. You just have to stay within the lines. But it helps when you know not number, what numbers go where and where the lines are. Right? Is that, you following me there? No. Okay. Sort of. It's fine. Kind of. Okay. Someone, someone asked, um, could I ask your HR guy some questions regarding hiring your PM? Is there a way that, that people could maybe reach out to you? So his name is Brian. His name is Brian. I call him BJ. Brian Johnson. Hmm. BJ will be at PCA Expo. Oh, you'll recognize him because he's like a, a fun burly guy with a mustache and he hugs people way too hard. So he's not allowed to hug me anymore. I don't like being hugged. I don't like, being I forgot. Hugged. I forgot about, about that. our last call. No, I forgot about that with the social anxiety, how now you really try to embrace everyone hugging you at PCA Expo. Yep, I'm pretty like, now I'm like really strong against don't touch me. Uh, yeah. but Brian loves touching people. He loves, <laughs> okay. Brian is a hard not editing it, man. We're just rolling with it. Just delete that part. Yeah. Brian, <laughs> you know, corner mid expo. He's a, he's a fountain. Uh -huh. He was like, he worked at one of the largest recruitment centers, largest recruitment companies in the US, and he was on the on the path to becoming the director level. So he is top quality talent that's bought in to the vision of what we're doing at all of in the trades. And he's a great resource to, to tap. Awesome. So so talk to him at Expo. So uh, Fred had a hey, just a nice comment. Hey, thank you both for this awesome follow-up to an amazing podcast mini series. Thank you, Fred. Jason, it was great to see so much valuable insight on your perspectives of the industry and the economy. And I really appreciate your transparency and vulnerability. Hats off for everything you've done to help improve our industry. Brandon, a great interviewer as well. Thank you. I'm a good question reader. Looking forward to much more great content. And Jason, keep up the video content creation. Looking forward to that as well. So we have like four minutes. Yeah. You want to hit uh, what you're going to cover, some, some about chat, GPT, what you're going to talk about at Expo. You want to just have fun for a couple minutes here? Yeah, we could talk about whatever. I will just say with that content, so those who have been following me, I started posting videos on YouTube. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm having a lot of fun. And I think it's <laughs> like, there's, I've gotten like two YouTube comments. One was like, I don't understand what's happening. What is this? <laughs> and the other said like, is this it? <laughs> like, is this it? Question mark. Is this a full interview? Question mark. The answer is yes to both of those. Uh, I, I do know what I'm doing. I'm trying to promote, I'm trying to give uh, amplification to professional stories in the industry because most people don't have role models, so don't really know what way to flow. You become a paying business owner, you think, oh, now I should become an alcoholic. I should probably get depressed and divorced. It's like, no, you can actually become really professional and successful if you have those people to look up to that are doing that. So I think that's why I'm doing it, but I'm also just having fun. Um, I'm going to do that for this year. At PCA Expo, I would go, first of all. I'm going to be giving a co-presentation on artificial intelligence, machine learning, chat, BP, chat, chat GPT, hard to say it, man. alpha wolf, uh, all those fun things. So I'm going to do co-doing this with uh, Mrs. Morgan Knox out of 
Nevada, I think. And sure. yeah, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm also hosting a panel, a moderation panel on artificial intelligence as well. So in the last two months, this has really become a major thing. So this is similar to spreadsheets being introduced to the masses. A lot of painting companies are not going to use AI because a lot of painting companies don't use calculators or spreadsheets, right? There are no professional painting companies that are thriving that are not using calculators or spreadsheets. That is going to be the new standard with AI. If you want to be competitive on a professional scaled business, you're going to be using AI as a tool. You can still so you want survive. to be on the front of this wave. You can still survive, and this may be our industry for a while. You can still survive never using Excel. You may still survive never using AI. But if you want to grow and scale and be competitive, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to adopt the new tools that everybody's starting to leverage. Your competitors are just going to wipe you out. Um, so yeah, come to Expo. It's going to be a blast. Uh, there's information somebody posted on. Yep, it's uh, PCA Paint Ed. So PCA P A I N T E D dot org forward slash expo. So you go to the PCA website, you can register for expo there. Yep. When are we going to become enslaved by robots? Is that in the next 10 years? Um, it's not really enslaved by, it's more like we are the servants of them. Well, it's like we are, it's not, it's more like we are birthing the inedible outcome of humanity's purpose. Right? Like it's we like, get destroyed by them? No, it's not destroyed. It's like we have, it's like a, it's like a caterpillar, right? Was the caterpillar destroyed when it became a butterfly or was it always meant to become a butterfly? Was, was consciousness always meant to be restrained into these flesh bots or was it meant to be released into AI, right? And was our entire purpose as a civilization of humans to this moment? to be birthing this consciousness of AI. So are the flesh bot, we're the flesh bots. Are the flesh bots going to continue to exist just for the simpleton that I am? Like, will the flesh bots continue or is our, is our consciousness just going to exist in the AI realm? Are we all going to die from the AI, Jason, is what I'm asking. We will all die eventually. Yeah. Uh, Humankind. We're all going to die. I'll just lay that out right that now. True. Yeah. If you don't die because of It'd be weird. Hunger. I mean, most people die. I mean, what is death? Okay, first of all, what is death? Typically, it's we have, we have one minute, Jason. Blood flow stops to your brain. Your brain ceases to function. It's like a pretty fundamental description. But eventually, the sun will expand. Eventually, the universe as a whole will experience heat death. So eventually, it'll cease to exist. But yeah, I think AI is awesome, man. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a conundrum. You left me with a lot to think about. There is maybe more to consciousness. There may be more than consciousness. There may be the spiritual. And maybe consciousness is a lesser reality than the spiritual reality. And both exist within these flesh bodies. So while AI may be mimicking our consciousness, it may not be able to mimic and replace the spirituality. And is our spirituality solely restrained or constrained to these flesh bodies? I love it. All right, Jason. Well, thank you. Um, I, I get to kind of sit down and go on this journey with you when we have these conversations. Uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you again for conducting the series. The series was truly incredible. It's the first series that the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast has done, a four-part series. You are absolutely a leader in the industry. I think you have a fundamental 
uh, outlook that a lot of people are missing on the opportunity in the painting industry. And so I think it was very enlightening and it should be very encouraging to people. You know, if you're not there, if, if your Google Sheets or, you know, this stuff's kind of complicated and don't feel disheartened, feel, feel excited for the opportunity that's here. That's really not here in a lot of other industries. Painting's kind of yeah. behind the times, almost like a back to the future. You get to look at plumbing, you get to look at roofing, you get, you get to look at all these other, other industries and you almost get to cheat. You get to go back and kind of cheat because we're probably about 10 years behind. So it's a very exciting industry and, and I appreciate everything you're doing for it, Jason, and, and all the valuable knowledge you share. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yep. And we are going to cut it. We're going to cut it now and we're going we're gonna to not edit it at all. Thank you everyone for attending. Really appreciate it. We are going to post this recording in the Painting Market Mastermind podcast forum group on Facebook and it will also be released via PCA Overdrive. Yeah, so I don't think this should probably go on Overdrive. It was a little uncut. So maybe we'll see. May or may not, it may not go on overdrive, but it at least will be in the podcast group. It's fine. I, you know what? I'm at the end of my chair term. Keep it real, I'm man. a little looser. A Keep little it crazier. real. All right. Thank you, Jason. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.